and welcome back to episode 6 of the Ghastly Podcast. Today we're going to be covering the 2015 film Crimson Peak, which its director Guillermo del Toro actually described as not a horror film, but more of a gothic romance. But we're going to count it as one of our Haunted House series, because I actually think that it makes a lot of sense to include it, and it definitely does have horror elements. So... Nick, can you tell us what actually happens in the film? Okay, so Crimson Peak follows the story of Edith Cushing, who's a young American heiress and the daughter of a wealthy businessman called Carter Cushing in Gilded Age America. So one night when she's a girl, Edith is visited by the spirit of her mother, her deceased mother, who warns her of Crimson Peak. Um, and fast forwarding into the future, when she's a young woman, she meets the charismatic inventor called Sir Thomas Sharp from Britain and he's accompanied with his sister Lucille Sharp who's played by Jessica Chastain and he begins to court Edith but this is much the the chagrin of her father who ends up actually persuading Thomas who's who's wanting funding for his uh, for his mining project to break Edith's heart um leave the country immediately with money for his invention um but he actually ends up going against Edith's father's wishes and uh, he pursues the romance and he actually ends up marrying Edith. Meanwhile, uh, Carter Cushing has been killed off in very mysterious circumstances, very violent circumstances as well. Pretty soon, Edith takes up residence in Allerdale Hall, which is also known by the local people as Crimson Peak because the red earth from below comes up through the soil when it snows and it stains the snow bright red. And gradually it becomes obvious that Allerdale Hall is haunted by several ghosts and Edith discovers that one of them is the ghost of Sir Thomas Sharp and Lucille Sharp's mother, who it is revealed actually died at the hands of Lucille and Thomas. And along with the ghost of their mother, she discovers the ghost of several past wives of Thomas Sharp who were forced to sign an agreement for the money to be transferred to the Sharps, while Lucille put poison in their tea and their food and then eventually um, kill them. So it's not only um, revealed that Edith has become the, the victim of a um, of a kind of vampiric scheme to, to dupe wealthy women out of their money, but she also discovers that Thomas and Lucille Sharp are involved in an incestuous relationship. And at the climax of the film, Edith is forced to confront Lucille, who is revealed to be the main antagonist of the film. And after killing uh, Thomas in a in a rage, after Thomas admits that he has fallen in love with Edith and is not just um, in love with Lucille anymore. She pursues Edith, but Edith manages to evade Lucille. And then um, in a moment where Lucille glimpses Thomas's ghost out in the, in the grounds during a blizzard, uh, Edith is able to take advantage of her being distracted and she strikes her over the head with an enormous spade and she is killed. And then Edith returns to America and puts down her story and she names the story Crimson Peak. Ghosts are real. This much I know. like they do us. Some remain tethered to a patch of land, 
time and date, the spilling of blood, a terrible crime. There are others, others that hold on to an emotion, a drive, loss, revenge, or love. Those? They never go away. So what do you think of Del Toro's assertion that this is not a horror film? This is this is a gothic film and that they're different things. Because I personally would take issue with that. I think he, by saying that, is implying that horror films must necessarily be all about getting as much there and as many scares in as possible. But I actually think that the horror genre can very easily be made to encompass um, the perhaps more subdued um, conventions of the gothic genre very easily. What do you think? Um, I suppose what I'd imagine is that he was he was afraid to call it a horror film because of audience expectations and the fact that a lot of people, even though, like you say, horror can be an incredibly um, versatile genre in terms of where it can, you know, it can co-opt elements of romance. And of course, uh, you know, it's um, there's often gothic influences at work in horror. It can combine those elements. But um, I suppose in, in pure pragmatic terms, um, audiences when they go and see a horror film, especially in you know a major cinema chain or something like that, they'll be expecting something along the lines of Women in Black or It maybe, and um, they're looking for I don't know um, a film that's that's chock full of jump scares that will deliver certain beats you know. Um, but of course, Crimson Peak being a Guillermo del Toro film, it goes into areas where. You, you know you're you're less likely to um you're you're less likely to see the the ground covered in crimson peak in one of the more conventional mainstream horror films uh so i, I can imagine that he was he was quite nervous to call it a horror film and then build sort of expectation of of you know something like the nun i don't know <laughs> what do you think yes that's true. I agree with you. But actually, Crimson Peak did end up being a, bit of, a little bit of a commercial failure in the end, didn't it? Yeah. It didn't really... I don't know whether people, like you say, maybe people were expecting something more scary and were left disappointed, or whether mm. maybe advertising it as a horror film would actually have been better in the end. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. I think, well, what do you think of it? Because um, I know I it, it took me a little while to come round to it but I think now that I've come round to it I really enjoy it um, hmm. I think it's a very beautiful film yeah and absolutely. I really like beautiful films even if even if they're lacking in other ways mm-hmm. which I, I, I don't think Crimson Peak is mm. I still think that I can be convinced I can be swayed mm. by some very nice cinematography and I thought this film was really beautiful and it had a really cohesive aesthetic vision. Absolutely, yeah. And and that came from coming from Del Toro as well, who's proven himself to be just a complete force of 
of um, aesthetic beauty in in, in all of his mm. films, actually. I mean, all of his Spanish language films are incredibly beautiful. Even Pacific Rim, which, um, of course, is a huge departure from most of his output. Well, you know, um, you have Hellboy, which is kind of like a middle ground in a way between films like Crimson Peak and then films like Pacific Rim. Um, but then Pacific Rim is still incredibly aesthetically coherent and yeah. it is full of just the wonderful colour grading and, and combinations and, and the composition of each frame is is so carefully thought out that um, it's interesting that you have people writing off Pacific Rim, I suppose, as, as the bland um, blockbuster, but it's so meticulously um, and you know, and very passionately put together. And of course that translates into Crimson Peak as well. And and all of his films, you know, the Hellboy films, Pan's Labyrinth. um, The great thing about Crimson Peak as well is that obviously there's, it's not just Del Toro's aesthetic vision. It's his entire genre, his entire tradition, which he's really drawing upon. Obviously that of the Gothic, I was about to say horror there, but obviously he might take issue with that. You know, like the general (laughs) Victorian Gothic aesthetic. And also, Funnily enough, he actually said, didn't he, that as much as it isn't a horror film, apparently, he also said in an interview that he wanted with the film to pay homage to The Haunting, which is Mm. obviously something that we've already discussed. Yeah, yeah, very fitting. Um, And you can see that. You can see that in the sense that the house is a character in itself, really. Um, And that's just the way with The Haunting. Yeah, how would Um, you say this film plays into the themes that we've kind of already discussed in the previous episodes from our houses theme? How would you say the house here maybe is the same as and differs from others? To me, what was really fascinating about this film, you know, after a couple more watches, I'm going to be honest, because I don't know, something about this film, I, I was kind of resistant to it for like the first couple of watches, but... I, you know, I've watched it again a couple of times more and it did start to make sense for me. I'm not really sure. I don't think it's down to any kind of um, structural incoherence on the film's part, but I just wasn't, it wasn't chiming with me. But mm. I think what's been really interesting is looking at it in comparison with something like the Amityville Horror, which is, um, that's about in, like indigenous American anxiety Um coming up from the ground, as we said, you know, coming up from within, about the interior attacking the interior in a way. Um, but with with Crimson Peak and with the whole, f- the, with, with the sort of the film's discussion of um, the new advanced, modernised, worldly America and then yes. the parochial, isolated... It's kind of um, like going back to the old world. Yeah, exactly. And and in a way, that kind of mirrors what happens in House, you know, that idea of um, going back into the past, you know, so you, you're, you're in, you encounter a sort of slick, progressive, modern, glowing, well, gilded, you know, a gilded age America. And then Edith is the kind of advocate of, of this modernity. She, she travels backwards and also spatially. So it's a spatio-temporal kind of relocation within Allerdale Hall. And that is so, um, that's so central to so many Gothic works. I mean, especially like The Fall of the House of Usher by um, Poe. Um, and then also Old Dark House, and a mm. big throwback, because the, the, the house is, is also an embodiment of um, British historic, aristocracy, arist- can't speak, <laughs> aristocracy. aristocracy. That's it, yes. Um, 
British aristocracy and also kind of European aristocracy on its last legs and kind of yeah, like I mean, the um, house is literally sinking into the ground. Yeah, which is massively symbolic. The, the horror element is kind of coming from underground, from within. It's mm. actually that this entire kind of way of living is physically being banished gradually to mm. the depths with all these other kind of like the classic like horrifying and um, like ghostly elements like the mm. entire location is actually sinking into that depth it's mm. physically being banished it's being reclaimed by Ooh, by the the, yes. the the ground by nature in a way and perhaps that's and... interesting because of the focus on industry in the mm. american side of the film absolutely yeah um because of course carter cushing is this sort of how would you describe him? He's this sort of uh, embodiment of mm. of American exceptionalism and hard work, and 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 you have um, the hereditary principle coming through with um, Lucille and and Thomas, and how they you know they're on their last legs. They're kind of they're struggling financially, but they have lived on just the sheer chance that they happen to be born noble. Um, whereas Carter, at one point um, early on in the film, he he says to Thomas, you know. Um, in America, we 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 earn what we, we, we you know with hard work we we gain our wealth. Mm. We're not you know sort of bred into wealth like you are, and I think that's a really interesting um, distinction between the American uh, kind of world and then the the old world, and how in films like Crimson Peak you you get the sense of America wanting to establish itself as something exceptional and something different from from what was established by Europe and, and Britain. Um, and you, that definitely shines through in, in the way that they're presented. And yet at the same time, I think there is still something really interesting about the way that um, despite this contrast between America and Britain, I mm. mean, Edith, for example, is still ultimately kind of swayed by Thomas. And at the end of the film, mm. she essentially exploits her experiences in Allerdale Hall mm. for her own writing career. And I think there is, yeah, even with this true. notion of the, of England being this kind of old world, which is literally sinking into the ground, being reclaimed by nature, mm. um, there is still this kind of at least aesthetic fascination with it. Yeah, her role in the film is sort of a healer or a, a sort of mm. she kind of a closer <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to yeah. describe it but she comes into this environment she's placed in this environment and then you know which is really lovely it's prefigured in such a lovely way of course with the um the moths and that scene where thomas and lucille are, are in the park with edith one day um whilst sir thomas sharp is, is getting to know edith and Edith's starting to fall in love with him and there are all these butterflies just kind of scattered on the grass they take their heat from the sun and when it deserts them they die that's sad no it's not sad edith it's nature it's a savage world of things dying or eating each other right beneath our feet surely there's more to it than that Beautiful things are fragile. At home, we have only black moths. Formidable creatures, to be sure, but they lack beauty. They thrive on the dark and the cold. What do they feed on? Butterflies, I'm afraid. You get Edith framed as the butterfly, you get Lucille framed as the moth, you know, and... and 
it's it's there's all sorts of wonderful little um interjections from del toro coming through just to sort of establish those two different realms you know and those two contrasting personalities of lucille and and edith and what they represent to each other speaking of which um what do you think about lucille as a character and more in general i guess her relationship with thomas because Mm. i think that is obviously one of the most interesting parts of the film definitely um one of the richest parts of the film for us to kind of mine and interpret mine like like thomas mines those mines oh i didn't even think of that but so true we're the we're the new industrialists (laughs) um so yeah incest is um it's bad yeah (laughs) incest bad um yeah, High level analysis. It's definitely the ultimate taboo. Ta- taboo? T- taboo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's... Um, I think it's interesting that incest kind of gets tied into the old world um, and those ideas of corrupt families and sort of dynasties turning in on themselves, I guess, because incest is... Um, it's what's been used historically to preserve purity, and isn't it, of, of, of a bloodline. Um, and then that that kind of fits in quite nicely with the idea of of dynastic societies like aristocracy mm. struggling to survive and then sort of turning in on themselves as a yeah. last ditch attempt to kind of um, bring. I mean, literally turning in on themselves in this case. Yeah, literally, and 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 um, and I think it's quite a nice way of making dynasty and making nobility horrifying. Um, yeah. And also, of course, conveying this idea of a repressed sort of underbelly of a family, you know, locked away secrets. Yeah. And then that that's Just deviance. Yeah. Um, what do you think? No, I completely I pretty much agree with everything else you said. And I think, again, that ties into the whole ideas of the new world and the old world mm. of the old world literally being unable to sustain itself any longer. Mm. Now, I don't know about the cause and effect as to whether they're turning in on themselves is because the dynasty is essentially collapsing or whether the dynasty is collapsing because there's this like mm. nasty deviance underneath the surface mm. that um, is coming from within and manifesting itself. I'm not sure, but either way, the end result is that Lucille and Thomas have no heir. Mm. That's it. Mm. And obviously Lucille dies mm. and the consequences of their actions mm. being the end of their life. Mm. What did you think of Lucille? Lucille is an interesting one because she starts off... I don't know. I really think it depends on who is viewing it because obviously she starts off as this kind of threatening figure to Edith. Even though we don't know anything about the incest plot at this point, she's still this kind of slightly... She's friendly, but in a way that means you're instantly suspicious of her. Mm. And it, you think... She's kind of one of those people who's something... she's friendly, but it makes... It, whenever she's friendly... She looks like she's kind of working really hard to be, you know, like she's trying not to like vomit. But I think um, she is clearly given a lot of agency in the film. And I think 
I don't know. Did you interpret it this way? But I also thought generally the whole thing with Thomas, it seemed like Lucille was being framed as the instigator, essentially. Mm. And the one who kind of drives him, obviously not only into the relationship, but also to into the whole plots of marrying women for their money and mm. murdering mm. them horribly mm. and everything like mm. that. It's kind of like a, a slight Lady Macbeth vibe. Yes, definitely, 100%. And so again, I think that's quite interesting the way in which Lucille and Edith, for example, are like the two major, are they the only female characters other than like, I suppose, the female ghosts? But, um, <laughs> yeah, but they're sort of... They're the only important female characters. Yeah. The way they're kind of framed against each other is like, um, Edith is this blonde, like virginal, like ingenue. Mm. Um, and then Lucille is just kind of like brunette, wears a lot of red, mm. like mysterious, obviously ends up being deviant. I do think it's a very well-worn dichotomy. Yeah, it's true. I think it's interesting in the ways that the film seeks a progressive interpretation of gothic. Um, at the same time, it has to lean on very well-worn tropes in order to function. Um Lucille is definitely super active, especially compared to Thomas. Like she's the one in control, she's the one in charge. And and um, to be honest, I I kind of got that from the offset. I don't think it was really. I'm not sure if Thomas was meant to. You were meant to perceive him as as the the antagonist from the beginning, but well, crucially, did you think when um, Carter Cushing yeah. is murdered? Did you think at first, oh, that's Lucille who's done that? Because I really, when I was first watching it, I thought it had been Thomas. I think, yeah, I think, well, I guess that's, I guess what the film wants you to think is that Thomas did it. Um, so that it mm. can then reveal that... Damn it. Um, yeah. It got me. But then, of course, there is that mismatch because, well, I don't particularly, I'm just going to say it, I don't really like Tom Hiddleston as an actor. Um and I feel That's like he completely fair enough to be honest. Don't you think he just? Keep, I feel like he. he I, I'm not going to go same from one character a lot. He does. Yes. He does. He this does. Is he a plays case the in sort of his character kind of makes English sense. Guy. Yes, I feel like this is the this role was perfect for him in a way. I mean, he was meant to. It was meant to be Benedict mm. Cumberbatch, wasn't it? Playing um, Thomas Sharp. Yeah, it was. So the original version had Benedict Cumberbatch as Thomas and Emma Stone as Edith, I which really I can't cannot imagine. imagine. That would be so weird. No, I guess Ooh. that kind of. Yeah. Like no offense to them. It just seemed it's just yeah. wrong in my head. I think it's good that it ended up with Tom Hiddleston as Thomas Sharp, and I think Mia Wasikowska is really good as Edith. Yes. I think she um, she's amazing. She has this kind of purity to her, but then she also has this real strength, and then that strength comes through, um, especially towards the end when she has to confront Lucille and pretty much fight for her life. But yeah, speaking of sort of passive men, we have Alan McMichael. Um, who is an ophthalmologist and a sort of childhood friend yes. of Edith, uh, who also lives in um, uh, Buffalo in New York. And uh, he travels to um, Alladale Hall um, to chase up on Edith and make sure she's okay. And he, he happens to arrive and everything's been unravelling. And he, he, he kind of arrives like Dick Halloran arrives the Overlook Hotel, you know, just in time to get fucked up, basically. <laughs> um, and, you know, he... he It's it's funny, because he's like, I'm going to... Oh, Edith, I'm here to rescue you. I'm going to carry you out. And then you're just like, you know, it's... You know, literally Lucille is behind him. And you know that Lucille is not going to let that happen. So it just seems so... Um, it just seems very ridiculous that 
that was even going to be an attempt but of course like he doesn't know Lucille he didn't know what she was capable of you know um so I, I think it's interesting that him and Thomas both end up being portrayed as these very um yeah passive um males with no real sort of mm. agency um and especially Alan he comes in to try and save the day but that kind of falls flat on its face and then he ends up needing to be saved doesn't he well this is the interesting thing I think the fact even though Lucille is an archetype which has been well worn especially when she's got that foil in the t- terms of Edith mm. at the same time I, I did enjoy her character mm, I didn't mm, and I don't know if it's just because Jessica Chastain is amazing or <laughs> but yes she was very good she was very very good Yes, and as you're saying, um, the men are in fact a lot more impotent than they would normally be in mm. films. So I liked that contrast as well, mm. rather than, although at the end of the day, I guess Tom Hiddleston's character does essentially save Edith from evil Lucille because he loves her. By just being there. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> just kind of stands there lets us see him ghost tom hiddleston at the end was so horrible all gone and pale I was like, oh god have you seen um devil's backbone i haven't no so that's a that's one of his spanish language films and mm-hmm. there's a there's a ghost called santi who's like a, a child um haunting this um i think it's an orphanage i can't remember don't come for me guys um and santi is designed exactly the same way with the kind of the crack where he you know he got killed with the what does she drive into his face again it's something awful um what is it lucille she picks up something and just like rams it into his cheek doesn't she and the the blood comes seeping into his eye and then um trying to remember um but yeah there's a sort of crack as if his skin is is sort of porcelain Mm. and then he's got the 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 blood is leaking into sort of almost as if there's water around him isn't it it's it's yeah such a lovely design but yeah it is creepy um and a really nice moment and it kind of wraps it up quite well because of course she didn't want to kill thomas she just lucille is just pure passion isn't she she's just unbridled um i guess that's the idea is that um going back to the gothic roots of the of the film yeah. when you have unbridled passion especially i suppose a feminine passion it's very it's dangerous it's and needs to be tempered exactly and yeah. scary mm. um, and also in this case it's british so that means it's old <laughs> yes. and weirdly deviant and needs to be relegated to the past yeah and then of course like incest kind of seals the deal doesn't it yeah but it's interesting how the film tries to make Lucille a more sort of sort of sympathetic character in the ways that she wouldn't have been given a platform, I don't think, in, in mm. other gothic works or, or books or yes. films. You know. Well, that's a crucial point. This is not literal Victorian gothic. This is a kind of neo-Victorian. Mm. This was made in 2015, not mm. 1885. Yeah, and you've got so to take that into account. The gender yeah. politics are always going to be better than they would have been had this been like a literal story from mm. the 1800s. And I think Del Toro does improve upon, even though I've just gone on about kind of the archetypes, etc. I don't mm. know. This is the thing, because when I look at Lucille's role in the plot, mm. I don't, it, it does seem to fit generally predetermined patterns, but there's just something about 
the way the film is made that means that I think she's still a really enjoyable character. And I don't get these connotations of like hysteria and anxiety over hysterical women from her. Mm. Well, she's a very. Hang on. Perhaps this is why Del Toro says it's not so much of a horror film because there's actually, you feel less anxious watching it, at least regarding things like women's, women's like passion and hysteria, etc. It follows all the same cues Mm. as a horror, but I just don't feel like there's that underlying anxiousness. I feel like it's more a story for the pure joy of telling a story. Does that make sense? Interesting. Um, I think it's kind of it's please feel free to disagree with me completely so I do feel I do think that Crimson Peak has anxiety in it I do think there mm. is that that that's there um but I think it's it's harder for for an, for us as an audience to locate in the same way that we could locate Amityville horror for example you know even though it's like it was made in the 70s it's still um because it's set in a time that we can more or less relate to or we can contextualize a bit better in terms of you know social attitude, social climate, that kind of thing. I feel mm-hmm. like maybe we can see or read the anxieties more easily in films like that. But whereas Crimson Peak is kind of it's it's ensconced in um, Victorian society and 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 also the aesthetics as well. I feel like that makes maybe that makes the anxiety harder to relate to i feel like you can definitely locate it but it's harder to relate to i don't know hmm. no that's but true i'm not sure but yeah also um, at the end of the day del toro has chosen to kind of reappropriate an old genre and perhaps to some extent that's kind of a distancing mm. technique do you think he's do you think neo-victorianism is trying to do you think it's trying to rewrite gothic mm. work or is it what's it doing do you think like i don't know why does crimson peak exist that's a good question it's one i've not thought about that much and now i'm gonna have to think about it but i don't know part of me honestly part of my non-analytic head is just like oh you know well, like victorian settings pretty you know you get to make nice clothes out of them nice houses this is the thing it's like it should be i feel like it should exist just because you know like um it's a passion project and it, of course it's like a massive it's a huge homage um you know as uh, as del toro is such a prolific um sort of you know writer of of writer and sort of consumer of 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 horror and 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 the genre of horror um you can see just his 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 love and adoration of the genre just kind of spewing out in just like everything about this film you know um so of course it has merit and it has value as that um and i think also in in the sense that it's it's sort of trying to rescue um depictions of 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 women and 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 sort of re um i guess reconsider um dynamics of gender that were kind of established with gothic and then finding a sort of more interesting way to to portray them um is that's it's cool and it's useful and it's uh it's it 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 makes um exploration of of original gothic works i suppose more informed um Mm. no i do think it is kind of retroactively enriching yeah i don't think it's trying to um it's not 
tearing down gothic or trying to rewrite gothic i think it's just a kind of it's a it's like another lens you know or a sort of um just another way of seeing it um because of course it's it's massively stylized piece of work you know and and it's not trying to it's not trying to recreate just like the Victorian world or yeah. you know, the American, the Gilded Age world. You well, know. actually, getting back to what we were saying earlier and on that, in terms of its depiction of kind of the American industrial Gilded Age, do you think the film is uncritical of that period and of these kind of American ideas of exceptionalism and capitalism? Because it's one I'm not so sure about. This is the thing. Del Toro is not from the USA. Well, no, yeah. Have you seen Kronos? I haven't. <laughs> well, Kronos is like a, a a jab at America because he uses vampires as a kind of uh, as an allegory for um, America, kind of sucking the blood out of South America. And yeah, like I feel like he's demonstrated that you know he's not completely pro-America, especially mm. as a Mexican. Um, I think the film is it's not trying to. I don't think it's in its scope to to sort of turn a lens on America. Um, so I feel like it ends up being quite pro-America, but it's not, it's, it, how's it described? It's not, it's, it's pro-Edith. It's not pro-America. And I feel like any, any part where it is pro-Gilded Age and pro the, the, those kind of aspects of, of American society, it's where it's wanting to, 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 to exaggerate the aspects of of the old world and of, of of Britain that it's it's trying to to make more horrific or more uncanny. Yeah, um, I think that's the feeling I get. But what what about you? No, I think I largely agree. And also, as I was just saying, things like like I was saying with the Lucille thing, even if on the surface all of the cues seem to reflect the idea of the like hysterical, threatening mm. um, woman. At the same time, mm. I just don't I don't feel. I don't. I just can't perceive the implications of this in the same way. And it perhaps, mm. it, to, it, to extent, obviously, this is just um, Del Toro's storytelling skills. I'm sure he hasn't actually made the film with the intention of just kind of depoliticizing it completely. But mm. it does feel at times like a story told just for the sake of being a story. And so, mm. even with the America thing, I do also kind of get the same reaction to it as I do with the whole Lucille storyline. But again, like I was saying before, it is interesting that like Britain in the film is kind of like this very threatening, kind of outdated, not outdated, but um, kind of disappearing place. But at the end of the day, Edith is still as horrible as her experience is. She is still also at the same time enriched mm. by it yeah and it kind of especially provides a creative impetus for her that kind of establishes the film as a sort of coming of age story um in a weird way in a mm. way that you wouldn't really expect at the beginning she's wanting to write and she doesn't really know how to write authentically and she doesn't know about she doesn't really know about ghosts etc which to be fair i find hard to believe because 
she does get visited repeatedly by her her mother's ghost so i'm just like i feel like she knows about <laughs> ghosts like can't she just know about I ghosts know. but um yeah thomas sharp when he's trying to like put her down and break her heart in 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 the way that carter cushing's wanting him to he he brings up that whole thing about how you know she just plays plays the author of of these ghosts and she knows nothing of them or um it's just all mm. sort of like childish fantasy etc cetera, etc cetera. but by the end of the film she has she definitely has knowledge you know she she has stuff to write about and she comes back and she she writes her account and of course it turns out that we've been seeing her account the whole time exactly every detail every moment is kind of curated by mm. her yeah obviously not really every it's a, fi- it's a film directed by Guillermo del Toro mm. but the implication being obviously within the film that this is not only Edith's um, interpretation of what happened to her this is her creative vision yeah and and that's um that's quite powerful I think um mm. I think that's actually a kind of weirdly uplifting ending to a horror mm. film to have not only the happy ending, obviously, of Edith and Anna escaping back to America. Well, I guess ever after. <laughs> it's, it's as happy as, yes, it, well. as it can be, I think, given the circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> it's yes. like, you know, like True. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre when um, she gets out, but she's kind of like, you know, she survives, but she's kind of like, ah, I've it's just like, had a very traumatizing cost? time. Um, probably need but a lot of therapy. But this is the thing, it doesn't necessarily feel like that at the end. It does feel like there is kind of a kind of almost empowering sense of like reclaiming trauma and reclaiming mm. horror yeah she she digs it out she kind of excavates it mm. and then she lets she sort of sets it free doesn't she but then of course like that involves thomas dying and lucille which i think lucille's yeah. fate is quite interesting because thomas fades away thomas heads off doesn't he into the ether um he's kind mm. of done he's sorted out but then lucille is like bound forever to the house you know or at least you know as far as as far as we can say she is she's she's tied there she's um she's stuck playing piano forever (laughs) um Mm. so i think that ties quite interestingly into how the film treats the house um and the fact that lucille remains a prisoner of it in a way even though Mm. alladale hall in many ways represents something that gives her agency and power yeah, no, I agree. And I think, again, this is a really interesting spin on the kind of haunted house trope in general that we've been discussing over the past few weeks. Like we were saying in um, the Amityville episode, for example, that a house is meant to be this kind of place of stability. And obviously the threat of the haunted house is when this place of stability becomes um, unstable, not to use the same word again and again. But also, in a weird way, there is also this feeling of being trapped within this fixed space that is in itself horrifying. I think so that's what's interesting about the end because in a way, the story's over. I mean, there's no longer anything horrifying about the house. It's just Lucille. She's the only one left in the Mm. house. She's a ghost. It's probably going to collapse at some point soon, right? If it's sinking into the ground. Yes, that's true. But the idea is that even worse, her ultimate punishment, even worse than all the fear and the terror um, of the events of the film is just this complete monotonous, unending stillness. Mm. You get the sense that she has to endure the afterlife or, well, if, if you can count being a ghost as the afterlife, but she lingers on knowing 
uh, and having to sort of deal with the fact that she's the one that murdered the man that she loved, you know, and her brother. All this horror. For what? The money? To keep the mansion? The sharp name? The mines? The marriages were for money, of course. But the horror. The horror was for love. The things we do for love like this are ugly. Mad. Full of sweat and regret. This love burns you and maims you. Twists you inside out. It is a monstrous love. And it makes monsters of us all. The house is framed as a place of freedom for her and a locus of identity for her and Thomas as the descendants of the Sharp family. But at the same time, it is it it, it keeps her safe. It keeps them safe and, and free to have their relationship. But at the same time, it, mm. is, it is kind of like a, a prison and a symbol of the fact that who she is and her power as a character and her agency can't really exist in the same way in the in the in the in the rest of the world like she can be in control and mm. she can she can have power and she can exact it but she can't she has to do it within the confines of Allerdale Hall that wraps up our conversation on Crimson Peak and uh, its depiction of houses and that ultimately wraps up our entire houses series so we hope you've enjoyed it and next week we'll be moving on to a new series which will involve us looking at Suspiria 1977, Suspiria 2018 and Climax. It's going to be a lot of fun so I hope you join us for our next episodes. Make sure you subscribe, stay safe and we'll see you soon.